Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today our guest is former A's starter Bobby Witt, who's now a player agent. He'll talk to us about the plight of minor leaguers and the challenges of the upcoming shortened draft. Plus, he'll reminisce about his time in Oakland, which included a perfect game marred only by a bad umpire call. Our guest today on the A's Plus podcast as part of our A's Gone By series is former A's right-hander Bobby Witt. Bobby, you were with the team in, well, you came over in the Canseco trade. Is is that right? Was it that long ago that you, you uh, came over to the A's? <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, 1992, myself, Ruben Sierra, and Jeff Russell for the, for the, uh, for the one and only Jose Canseco. Wow. That, I mean, just being a part of that trade alone must have been kind of crazy because it was so high profile at the time. Yeah, it was. And, and you know what was really nice about it, to be honest with you, Susan, is if we were in last place in Texas and, um, you know, within a matter of minutes, we went from last place to first place. So it was a good situation um, for all three of us because it was, I think, the first time all three of us had an opportunity to be in the postseason. Yeah, yeah. And then you actually, you you had a very nice uh, two seasons with the A's. And I think people will, will remember, uh, I know you, you won 14 games one year. And you also nearly had a perfect game. I mean, you did have a perfect game. Uh, for those of us that, that recall, there was just one bunt single, and it was a terrible call at first base. I think it was Gary Cedarstrom. What, what do you remember about that day? Um, that was kind of what you just said. It was That was it in a nutshell, basically. I mean, there was one hit. Greg Gagne, I think he tried to push <clears throat> push Bunny. I think it was the sixth inning. And... Um, you know, I was, it was one of those games where you hear pitchers talk about being in the zone, locked in, however you want to explain it. But uh, that was one of those days from the time I left the bullpen, I felt like it was going to be a really good day. And, and uh, you know, David Cohn was going on the other side. So you knew going into that, pitching against him, you know, it was going to be one of those games where you got to really keep the other team at bay. And, and uh, I think Scott Heeman was catching, and we just got it going early. Wow. Do you, do you recall arguing pretty strenuously over the call? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I got to the point where I was, I was telling him how I felt, um, told him that he missed the call, um, you know, and then he disagreed, I think, and then he said that, you know, get back on the mound, and I, you know, he was saying, you know, and then I think the home plate umpire came out to, uh, you know, to make sure everything was trying to get back in some fashionly order, and then I got back on the mound, and um, I, I basically said to myself they're not going to get another hit the rest of the game just to show him and everybody else that he was wrong oh my gosh uh the fact that it happened in the sixth inning does that kind of change the dynamic because i you know everybody always remembers the galarada perfect game that was ruined by the you know bad call in the last play essentially um but because it was the sixth inning i think this one maybe goes a little under the radar but it, it's the same exact thing really Yes, I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't it was like it was the eighth, you know, uh, the top of the eighth, the top of the ninth, and they were just trying to get a hit to, to erase it. But, I mean, he was still trying. It was still a close game at the time, if I recall. And he was trying to create, you know, obviously distract me and, you know, maybe try to get some base runners going. Because when you get into that situation and going into the sixth, I haven't been in the stretch yet. So sometimes that can be a little bit of a hindrance where you haven't been thrown out of the stretch and now you're in it. And so I just used the... You know, I, what I feel was a missed call as motivation for me to continue to pitch well. Yeah, 
I, I think I think people should kind of remember that one a little bit more, and I do think it was maybe because it was the sixth. People just kind of forgot about it a little bit, but it's exactly the same as to, in my mind as the as the Galarraga one. You you really you got ripped off, Bobby. There's no there's no <laughs> doubt about it. It was it was a magnificent performance. We all know it was twenty seven up, twenty seven down. So. Um, so tell us what you're doing these days. I, you're a player agent. I am lucky enough to run into you every now and then at the winter yes. meetings and, and uh, a very good one. This is a strange time, I'm assuming, for agents in all sports, um, but baseball in particular because there's so much uncertainty about the season and where it's going. What, uh, what are you doing right now, especially with no baseball going on? Well, um, yeah, I, I am, I've been doing the representation um, thing for the last 19 years uh with a company called octagon and um you know right now it's we're almost in the same situation as the players you know we're, we're gathering except we're not you know in directly in the meetings i mean we're gathering information from the players association trying to find out which you know which direction this thing is headed um for me i do have some experience in this as an ex-player i went through three work stops just two lockouts and a strike so I think I've been able to talk to a few of the players that, you know, when going into this, there was a lot of unknown. And, and um, you know, as far as where it's at right now, um, you know, these things, these things are very difficult to navigate through. And especially if this is even more difficult due to the fact of the COVID-19, you add that into the mix of with, you know, trying to get back and playing. And then with what's going on right now, I saw the proposals yesterday and um, it's difficult times because, no matter what, in the view of the public, um, you know, the, they look at the as the athlete is, you know, obviously making a lot of money um, and going out there and, you know, is a little bit of greed. But I think that when you look at it and understand the whole dynamics as far as what ownership has been able to do over the last few years, as far as the revenue stream that they've continually uh, had an arrow pointing north, um, you know, now it's time that, you know, they want to, uh, you know, have the players help them out in a situation where it's it's difficult Susan it really is you know and and um you know it's always especially when it gets out into the public it becomes you know pretty nasty yeah well I mean I think there's a lot of confusion because initially the initial agreement uh when there was the the stoppage first happened was that there would be prorated salaries if this if and when the season started again and now it's sort of changed to yeah let's just do a 50 50 split which um, I think getting a rug pulled out from underneath them is probably pretty tough from a player standpoint and from an agent standpoint. Is that kind of the case? No doubt. You know, the first the first thing that you know was was discussed was the fact that you know if there's only going to be 82 games or 81 games, yeah, you're going to get a prorated piece, and it's going to be half of the you know half of your salary, which is understandable. But then now your expectations are that, and then all of a sudden, no, no, we want to even you know cut it a little bit more. So. Again, it makes it very difficult um, for the players to accept that. Um, you know, it's something that uh, I know that uh, I think that they're talking about that today. And um, you know, it's going to be it's it's going to take some time to get this thing done. Yeah. How how do you feel in general about getting baseball started again and you know taking the proper precautions? Do you feel like it can be done safely? You know, maybe if there are no fans in the stands and et cetera. I, I think so. I definitely do. I, I live in Texas. Um, our state's a little bit different than everybody else. Uh, I see what's going on down here, and they're doing a pretty good job. Um, social distancing, you know, I think that uh, people are taking it seriously, um, you know, and they know what the ramifications are. I think that 
if you do follow protocol, you're smart about it. I've been watching what's going on over in Korea. It looks like things are going well over there. Japan's getting ready to start on the 19th of June. So, you know, I think that definitely the, the opportunity for the game to come back is there. It's just a matter of, um, you know, if there can be an agreement between ownership and players. Now, I know you get direct reports from Japan because your son-in-law, Zach Neal, who's also a former A's pitcher and uh, another guy who is always one of my favorites to deal with, is, is playing in Japan this year. What's, what's the latest that you're hearing from Zach? Well, he's, um, you know, he's been over there since the end of January, so he went over there real, real early this year, and the reason was was because of the Olympics. Um, they were going to shut down the Japanese season for three weeks so that the Olympics baseball could be played over there. And then they were going to restart it. So they did, they did the early spring training, in order for that to, ha- you know, in order for that to work out. But, uh, you know, it didn't work out. They canceled that. So he's been over there since the end of January, and it looks like the season, I believe, with the playoffs, will go through the end of November. Wow! Um, once they get it going, 122 games, I think, something like that. That is a crazy long time to be in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, that's the, but you know he's over there with my daughter and uh, they went over last year and um, they really embraced the culture over there. They enjoyed it. They enjoyed the people. Um, you know, so I think if you have that attitude and you go over there, you can you know you get acclimated a little bit and you figure out things. Obviously, he wishes he was playing games right now, but he's still been working out, practicing, and um, you know now that uh, now that you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And getting paid. And I know you represent certainly a lot of minor leaguers. There's a lot of concern in in the baseball community, period. I think about minor leaguers. They don't know if they'll have a season whatsoever. Um, they have been, a, a lot of them, particularly the ones that were not high draft picks and, and didn't get big bonuses, uh, have been relying on these $400 a week stipends from baseball. Uh, the A's, as I'm sure you know, announced yesterday that they're stopping their stipends for minor leaguers. And I assume if the A's are doing it, you know some other teams are going to follow suit. How concerned are you about what's going on uh, with with the lower level players? Everybody talks about you know the big leaguers, but the minor leaguers are the ones that are a lot of them really suffering. Well, it's it, it's it is it's it's a difficult time. You know, I had a couple players. That actually were with the organization, uh, with the A's, and called me last night after that came out, and you know they were uh, they're, they're pretty shook up about it. You know, I mean, this is what they've been doing for the last eight, nine, ten years of their life, and they want to continue that, and they feel like they still have an opportunity, maybe to get to the big leagues. But um, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, a lot of these guys, you know, I, I feel for the guys, especially that you know are are, are trying to hang on and maybe try to get there for the first time or, you know, just continue their career. And you, you start getting up there in age, and this could be something that totally takes that player away from the game. And it's not because of performance. It's because of, you know, what's going on in our country. And um, that that's really hard for me to see, you know, as far as the, the older guys that, that are going through that. But then the younger guys, too, that, you know, they just want to go out and play. Um, you know, they want to go out and play the game that they love to play and enjoy and now, you know, it's it's taken away from them. So it's 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 difficult, Susan. I mean, I know that there's probably going to be other clubs that follow suit, but I have seen where the, I believe it was the White Sox and another club, um, I think it's the Marlins. The White Sox and Marlins are going to pay their, pay their minor leaguers through the end of August. So that's almost like the regular season. So there is some teams that are stepping up, um, but uh, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's those that aren't. 
Well, you never want to be a team that's doing the opposite thing from the Marlins, so I hope maybe the Hayes can, can reconsider. <laughs> Do you have any yeah. minor leaguers um, that, that your organization is representing who are, are finding jobs and elsewhere? Have you heard of anybody with, you know, kind of working crazy other jobs? You know, you hear people do, driving and, you know, doing DoorDash and things like that. What, what are you there's, hearing there's from some couple, of your minor leaguers? There's a couple guys that are doing that DoorDash, um, you know, the, the Uber Eats thing that are doing they're doing that just to just to make a little bit of extra money while they're there um a lot of the guys are just trying to find a way to work out and stay ready to go just in case you know that's one of the things where you're it's almost like you're you know you've been working out for i mean five almost going on five months now going into june you know you start up in january and you just don't know what what it's gonna what's gonna happen you know where's where's this thing gonna go but you know it doesn't i mean just to be frank, I mean, it just doesn't look good for the minor leaguers. You know, I don't think that, uh, you know, that's going to happen. We'll be back with more with Bobby Witt in just one minute. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, your son, Bobby Witt Jr., um, was the second pick overall last year for just a absolutely phenomenal player uh and you know i'm big bonus because a first rounder which that's great but he's losing a year of development every minor leaguer is losing a year of development if there's no games how how tough just is that just losing a year of development the older guys sure if they're hanging on that's awful because their window's probably closing but even if you're a top young guy you know this is a year of your career that is not normal in any way right yeah it's been it's been difficult. I mean, he's he understands he gets with what's going on with COVID nineteen and all that, but at the same time, this kid just loves to play the game. And and you know, you you start looking at projections and where he could be next year or the year after that, and you, you got to almost subtract the year now because that's not happening. I'm hoping that there is you know an opportunity maybe in the fall or something where they can do an instructionally extended. I don't know what they're going to do, but definitely the development of minor league baseball and. And these players are crucial to the, you know, organizations. I mean, it sets them back a year. And then the development as far as what you anticipate as far as a club, having that player possibly reach the big leagues at a certain time, now you got to maybe make an adjustment there. But, um, but yeah, it's been, it's been difficult as far as that, too. Um, you know, he's been able to get his workouts in and do what he needs to do in order to stay ready. So he's just, uh, he's just waiting like the rest of us. Does he have teammates nearby? How, how is he getting workouts in? Yeah, he's got uh, one of his other brother-in-laws live live around here, so he's able to throw. And I, he's got a net and um, does soft, you know, soft toss tee work. Those type of things. There are some guys that um, are doing some hitting now because they've opened up some fields in the area, so he's able to go out and do that. Uh, the workouts he he doesn't miss. Um, Kansas City's been really good as far as sending him his workouts weekly. They have Zoom calls and they keep everybody engaged. So as far as that aspect of it, um, you know, everything's going well there. So, I mean, the only thing he's really not been able to do is see the live pitching, which I think a lot of guys are in the same situation. Yeah. Such a shame. Now, the draft is coming up, and obviously it's a modified draft. Um, 
how, how difficult is that? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys are representing uh, or advising um, some, some guys who are expected to be taken in the draft. Uh, it, how, can you describe how unusual a situation this is with a very shortened draft schedule? It's, it's, been, it's been very, very difficult, especially for the high school guys. I have a few kids that we're advising that are in the northeast part of the country, and they didn't even get to play a high school game. They didn't even get to be seen. All their work that they did, you know, in the summer and that was was good and put them on the map. But at the end of the day, they, they're not even able to, you know, the teams don't even know if they're healthy and, you know, what what they look like now. I mean, they, the, the area guys have done their due diligence to talk to the guys, but still they haven't been able to go out and perform and see what they've been able to do, whether they're pitching or hitting. And that makes it really difficult. And there's guys that even here in Texas that we're advising that did not have you know, I think they played maybe 12, 13 games. So it's a small sample size of what guys could do. And it even affects the guys in college because you have guys that got out maybe off to a, not a great start, but you know they're good players. So what scouts saw early maybe not might have did them justice as far as, you know, where they could go in the draft. So it's been it, it's been difficult. You know, I just feel, I feel bad for these kids because, again, they're working for this. They're going out, doing everything they can, especially the high school kids and the college kids. This is something that they've been looking forward to, having that opportunity since they've been young kids about being drafted. Now you're looking at 160 people being drafted compared to 1,200, a little bit, maybe, a little bit, maybe more than 1,200 last year. So there's a lot of kids that, um, you know, obviously aren't going to have that opportunity. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it, makes it, it makes it very, very difficult. What, what happens with those kids? Do you, I mean, if you're advising some of them, then do you just immediately start talking to teams about doing essentially free agent minor league deals for them? Well, I, I don't think, I really don't think there'd be any kids that would do the minor league free agent deal. I mean, it's $20,000. Most of these kids that we're advising have opportunities to go play at Division One colleges and the, and the opportunity to get their education get better in a three-year period outweighs the $20,000 from the team. That's more for me. I look at that as a senior in college yeah. uh, that has that opportunity to, you know, if teams are looking at him, then he has. Now it's 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 not a bad situation for those guys because now it's just not one team that's going to take him and say, here's, you know, 1000 here's, tw- you know, $2,000. They have an opportunity maybe to make twenty grand um, and pick a team that you know maybe they look at the organization and, and say okay this is the team that really does a good job of developing guys um this is what they have in their minor league so it's, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because again this is the first year of being able to to do this as well how much does this impact your industry in terms of finding the next crop of players to advise um with essentially no spring amateur seasons or very shortened ones does this also kind of just the way it's hampering team scouting efforts? Is it hampering well, your sort of scouting efforts? Yeah, it's it's. They, I think they go hand in hand, Susan. I mean, the scouts are out there. I mean, all the events that we're at, they're at, obviously. And you know, you're you're looking at the 2021 guys already, and you don't know what's going to happen as far as the PG events, the uh, USA team, things like that. I mean, I've heard things that might take place here in about another month or something, but. You just don't know what's going to happen with this, with the COVID-19, if they're going to continue to uh, march on or if they're going to, have, you know, pull the reins a little bit or something, you know, if there's another outbreak. So you just you just don't know. And it's, it's a domino effect, right? Because you're looking, 
I mean, as soon as the draft's done, the scouts that, you know, the guys that are out beating the bushes looking for the talent are, are, are going on to 2021. You know, and as far as what we do and in our industry, you have to even go further down the road um, to the 2022-2023 kids. Yeah. Um, so, so you're looking at those events and, and you know if they're canceling those it's going to be it's going to really i think for a year or two make this thing uh, really unbalanced as far as you know trying to ex- exactly find that guy but then again maybe these other guys have opportunities because nobody's really playing right so maybe the other guys can catch up to the guys that maybe ahead of little be ahead of them a little bit oh yeah i hadn't thought of that that but that it's this it is a strange sort of um telescoping of classes kind of like what what's happening just in general with high school kids who are graduating from high school and are they going to go to college in the fall or are the college is going to have very small classes and then the next year much bigger classes if that's happening on a sports team level you know i know a lot of kids are planning to go back to they they can have their scholarships extended for a year and they'll go back and play but what happens to those kids that were going to take the spots of the guys who plan to graduate and now won't right. so that's yeah that's another that's another uh situation too i mean you got all the kids that were seniors that were going to probably graduate now they're granted another year year of eligibility so they're able to go back and play and that causes the incoming freshmen to sit there and go wait a minute i was coming in i was going to be a guy that might have been in the mix to play but now he's coming back now i get bumped down so you know is it a junior college do i go to that school i mean and then you're seeing it's just going to be a flooding of players going into the Division One college level. So it's going to be interesting next year. You know, I think the junior college is going to be really good because of this. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I know the college coaches are really in a situation where they've never been before. You know, I, I know that personally, I know a few of those guys really well, and they've had to make some tough phone calls because you end up having maybe you had – two or three guys you figured were going to go in the draft and then you have another two or three that were seniors that you thought were going to be gone so you're losing six or seven guys and all of a sudden the incoming guys now you're going to have to make those phone calls and say hey listen we're not going to be able to you know I mean at least they're doing that now rather than getting them into school their freshman you know freshman fall and going oh by the way you know you're going to have to check out this second half <laughs> so, oh my gosh yeah that's yeah. crazy what, what a strange time for for really everything and everyone, but um, there's so many like secondary things and then third things that you think like it just kind of this ripple effect that that uh, kind of goes on and on and on. How many players are you advising that you you think have a pretty good shot at getting drafted this year? Um, I think total. I might have because of the the numbers uh, where they're at. They're only going to go five rounds. Yeah. Um, possibly myself personally maybe three guys okay out of the group and then we have other uh agents in the company obviously um and they're going to probably have a few more each one of them but you know it's just uh it's a situation where i felt like i had a couple high school kids that might have been able to really rise up there if they were able to be seen the entire year and um you know it's just not going to happen Wow, what nutty. Um, how are you doing personally with the whole shelter in place and social distancing? Have you been doing anything different, unusual, new hobbies? Um, <laughs> how have you been spending your time away from work? The first the first uh, few weeks, probably first three or four weeks, there was a lot of things I needed to do around the house and stuff, so I was able to do that as far as outdoor work. Um, was really, really I felt like I was really productive, and now that's kind of caught up with all that, so that's been good. Um, 
been doing a lot of bike riding to be honest with you not not necessarily the uh you know it's kind of a hybrid bike in between a mountain bike and a road bike so been going out on that doing different rides just trying to you know keep up with the cardio and that type of stuff um doing a lot of netflix i was never a netflix person my kids have always told me about netflix and i mean i've watched more series and caught up with stuff at night <laughs> i mean i guess i'm a binge watcher here and there so i mean it's been just doing a lot of that stuff i think of kind of whatever i seem to be talking to people and they kind of have the same same plans that i'm doing yeah yeah it's a lot of netflix what what would you watch what was the best thing what would you recommend most out of everything you saw I don't know. I, you know, honestly, there was a lot. There was a lot of different um, shows that, you know, there were some that were kind of out there a little bit. I mean, <laughs> I did. I watched the Ozarks. Yep. Uh, the All American, um, Outer Banks, Queen of the South. Did you um, watch? Did you watch Tiger Blood, King? Bloodlines, Tiger King. Yeah, yep. Tiger King. That's only where I'm at. That's only about two out, two and a half hours from me. I actually drive by it all the time when I go up to Norman. I, I knew exactly where that place is. Oh, crazy. You had no yeah. idea what was going on there all those years. No, I didn't. <laughs> honestly, honestly, because I drive by it and I've always saw the billboard and I was like, man, that's, I wonder if anybody ever goes there because you never really, <laughs> never really see it until you drive by it and then all of a sudden they're doing a uh, Netflix show on the guy. <laughs> that's nutty. Well, Bobby, um, well, I hope uh, I get a chance to run into you again at some point soon and that we are talking about regular baseball and not uh, not all this craziness. But good luck to uh, all the kids that you're advising in the draft and, of course, to your son and Zach Neal. And thanks so much for joining us here on A's Plus. You bet, Susan. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Looking forward to seeing you out of the ballpark soon. Our thanks again to Bobby Witt for joining us on A's Plus. Our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We'll be back again later in the week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support A's Plus and all of the Chronicle's journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com pod.